Princess, transmit the outgoing signal. Come on, we need to get this mic buttoned up yesterday. Get that door buttoned up. There, got it. Is it good now? Adjust it on the fly then. Here we go. Going live in three, two, one. This is Hyperborean Radio coming at you from the front lines of the wasteland. Reminding you to keep your head down and your powder dry. And as always, we're here to let you know that you are not in this alone. I am CG, and with me is the lore keeper taking time off the front lines for you. This is Hyperborean Radio. I am CG and with me today is the lore keeper. As you guys heard in the introduction, we had to kind of cram this one in. So here we go. All right. So today we wanted to talk about something we brought up before, which is that we are a people of extremes. Now, what does this mean? It means that we are like a pendulum. We, if we're on one end and we decide to leave it, we go to the other end. And then if, so some very obvious examples of this is we try to focus things into binaries, which did not exist before Christianity. You know, the good and the evil, the light and the dark. And we create these sort of false binaries. And this translates into how we tend to react to people. For instance, in many countries, there is the left and there is the right. We have created this false tribalization where disagreeing with anything from one or the other indicates not only that you are an enemy, but that you're an enemy and a member of the other group. And one of the reasons that this is so obvious to myself and CG is that we don't actually argue for either side of the political spectrum. Well, we tend to avoid politics as much as possible in general. It's kind of impossible due to history and everything, but we have been called uh, Wiccans. We have been called dogmatic. We have been called right-wing crazy people. We've been called left-wing crazy people. And we've noticed that the more people interact with us, the more confused they're kind of are of where we stand. And the reason is, is because we don't really stand on either of these binaries, whatever binary you choose to pick, because we recognize them as inherently false. 
We are not dogmatic because paganism is not dogmatic, but we're not incredibly willy-nilly. We're still going off of stories. We're still going off of tradition. We're still going off of mountains of research that we do. It's just there's no dogma or doctrine because there never was dogma or doctrine. It's all modern conceptions. Uh, Asatru, Wikatru, Vanatru, Wicca, uh, Radnavari, all these things are modern versions of the old religions, which is also why on average they tend to end up universalist because once you add a doctrine or a dogma, it becomes fixed. It's not tied to the living people. What you've done is you've effectively taken a snapshot of something and you've moved it ajar. That's why anyone can be Wiccan. And anyone can be Asatru. There are some folkish groups of Asatru out there, but even that's a gray area. And what this is, is that people, they want, they're going into one of these extremes where they pretty much can either make Buffy the Vampire Slayer a god because apotheosis is a thing, and archetypes are a thing, and it's true. But that doesn't make a fictional character you liked when you were in your tomboy phase at age 13 the same as a deity or a folk hero. On the flip side, going the exact opposite dogmatic, there's a rigid structure, there's rigid lines, there's rigid division. You know, bow to the god, here's a bull of my blood Freya, nonsense that some people get into. This is just the same reaction, but on the opposite end of the binary. Well, and Jung even discusses this, and so does Nietzsche, um, where uh, Jung specifically, he was talking about the archetype and that it goes, uh, that it is carried along with the people. And even if they forget the old stories, they will create new ones. But we still have the old stories. And even so, going with Buffy the Vampire Slayer now, or Doctor Who now, would not be actually following our biospirit because we understand that these are straight up fictional characters. However, that doesn't mean that we, then on the flip side of it, it doesn't mean that we can't take lessons from the stories, that we can't gain wisdom from them. So is there a difference? Yes. Well, but you just said that there is no difference. This is also true. It is not a this or that. There is no singular truth. There are many truths lying side by side, all equally true and equally false. What is true over here is not necessarily true over there. What is true now is not necessarily true then. So, it's, it's, and it's not that we don't take sides because we do. We take our side. We take the side of our people, whether they like it or not, whether they appreciate it or not, it doesn't matter. The, the way that one way to view what's currently going on with many of the binaries is you have a hill and you have a bunch of people standing on one side of the hill and a bunch of people standing on the other side of the, of the hill and they're all fighting each other. We're standing on top of the hill. We're not on one side or the other and we're not trying to play the middle. It's, we're finding balance, balance within ourselves. And really, that's that's what it's all about is that we don't go too far in one direction or the other direction. That if you think about many of the stories, that's actually what it's about. Well, and this is also and these issues are actually exacerbated by the Internet because there's no consequences anymore. And this isn't supposed to be some, oh, beware the Internet, young Padawan or something. No, 
I'm merely saying that it's like that story of Harbard where Thor is in the argument with the ferryman and Thor it can't just walk. Well, he could, but by the time he gets to the other side of the lake, Harbard's going to be gone regardless. So he's basically just standing there getting insulted. And what's effectively happening with this it, in, with the internet is everybody who is not within walking distance is in a Harbard and Thor situation. Uh, there's even a, a personality online who, what he did was he actually found trolls and met them in real life. He didn't threaten them or anything. He just showed up. Uh, and that was Steven Crowder, I think. Like, he actually tracked down where some of his trolls lived. Had, like, I think, like, a placard with what they said and showed up. And they were always, like, trying to just get away from him. People are able to hyper-tribalize. And I don't mean in a natural, healthy sense, you know, like Wolfpack A and Wolfpack B. You know, on average, they do not get along. What I mean is that people are hyper-tribalizing because there's no consequences. Because you can be super conservative online or super liberal online and not bring it into the real world. And now it's bringing itself into the real world. But online, you're able to hyper-partisan. In. And this does happen naturally, but it's being sped up because people have basically made their opinions without having to actually test them in real life. Well, and we've noticed, too, that people have a tendency to um, role play, I guess, is, is one way to do it. And I think that's kind of what you is just getting at is they become more conservative than what they actually are. And by what they actually are, they might be saying what they actually think, but they are not saying the things that they would actually back up. So, therefore, is kind of a role play. And I think that we we kind of mess with people's heads because they assume that we're doing the same thing. When we say the things that we're saying on the podcast, on YouTube, the things that we type on, on the Telegram or Instagram or Picagram, um, <coughs> they expect that we are role-playing, that we're playing a character. And then once they get to get talking to us, they realize that we are genuine all the time. Even even out in the real world, because we have met some people in real life, and they are just floored that we are online the same way that we are in real life. I have no problems actually walking up to a complete stranger and striking up a conversation with them if they catch my attention for some reason, it might be something that they said, something that they did, um, might just be the shirt that they're wearing. I don't know. It's always something seems kind of random, but I have no problem with doing that. And it, it just blows people's minds and they don't know what to do with the reality of it. Well, and sometimes these role playing can go to their extreme. Like for instance, uh, like you once joined what was supposed to be like a pagan discord or whatever. And it was literally people role playing as like giants and like D and D characters. And, and this is one thing that like, this is why I brought up in a previous podcast. We need to establish that this is a legitimate thing because a lot of people, they don't realize that paganism is actually a real thing. They, they view it as like role playing. You know, like I'm an elf with a plus five intuition and my patron is Syl Pompus, the the poppy goddess of the forest or something. I don't play D&D, but um, in general, it's because a lot of people aren't taking this seriously. 
Like, I think we've actually run into some people that are like, holy crap, you actually are pagan. Like, you're not just messing around. Well, and I think that's why when I talk to people in real life, and they'll try impressing me because they understand that there's something about me, and they'll be like, I'm a good Christian. And I'm like, <laughs> oh, isn't that cute? I'm not. Uh, I'm heathen. I, I am I am a pagan. And they're like, do you mean Wiccan? And they, they get all confused, and I'm then I just explain to them, no, I'm the skull-crushing kind of pagan as I kind of square up. And they immediately know what I mean. They don't even question it. And it's because I'm not role-playing. And, and there's some people where I've talked to them for a while and then we end up having one of these conversations because they understand on a subconscious level um, that I'm solid, a solid person. And then they equate this to Christianity, which it's it's not from Christianity. It's because I understand who I am and who our people are and where my place is among amongst our people. And then when we have these conversations at first, it's confusion. And then like realization dawns on them and they're like, ah, now it all makes sense. Now I get it. And it's because CG is not an online personality. It, it is who I am. I've told people in the audience before what my real name is. I am who I am. Well, yes, exactly. And like the lore keeper, I actually find that name kind of ridiculous. But someone else started calling me that because they could literally be like, hey, what's that guy with the hat and the stick? And I'm like, oh, do you mean this guy? I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah. So eventually it turned into... It's like you got your um, nickname, CG Celtic God, because you actually got it in real life because you were Celtic and you could basically fight people so quickly they didn't know what you were doing or something. Like no, that. it was, um, yes, because, I, because I'm of Celtic descent, but because, and it started off kind of as a slander. You strut around like you're some kind of God. And then they would see me do things or, or have in-depth conversations with me. And they're like, Oh, he is like a God. And then over the course of several months, it turned into just calling me Celtic God. So that's why the name that, that I use, which I then shortened to CG. And so did other, other people because it's too long to type out Celtic God every time. So it turned into CG and thus CG, which is Celtic God, which is me. This is a real life name granted to me by people that knew me. And so I, I think in some ways it really confuses people because the veneer, typically when you get online and you start talking to people, the veneer ends up slipping and people will end up revealing their hand. And as I reveal my hand through time and uh, basically I stopped trying to be um, so socially accepted and I just stopped caring what they think. And I, I reveal my hand. They're like, Holy crap. He's not showing the, the intensity. Typically he's actually holding it back. So he doesn't scare people with how intense he is with everything that he is. I am extremely intense and everything's thought out. Even when I lose my temper, I never say anything that I regret. I lose my temper and all the social niceties just go away and I will tell somebody exactly what I'm thinking and there is no regrets about that. Any regrets I have about losing my temper is 
I am sorry that it hurt your feelings or that, that you got your feelings hurt by me telling you this thing that you already know. Well, and it, it brings to mind something important, which I've actually brought this up before. Um, and again, you don't have to agree, but like, uh, nicknames they're earned. That's part of the reason I kind of dropped, uh, an old moniker I used to have. It's because I gave it to myself. I mean, I stumbled onto it, but I gave it to myself and then I sort of tossed it because it didn't fit as well because I didn't earn it. And then on top of that, I'd also am of the opinion that if you're going to get a tattoo, you should probably earn it. And I know some people like to get like Garfield or Millhouse tattooed on their shoulder or something. And you know what? Do it. Do what you want. But if these are something you're going to carry the rest of your life, wouldn't you want them to mean something? And that's what these tattoos meant to our ancestors. And you and I were actually talking about, um, cause there was someone I talked to when I used to work in the deli and she was talking about how she just got a tattoo and it, it was a flock of birds and she, the tattoo artist told her that was the quintessential white girl tattoo. And me and CG were talking about how that ties into all the bird goddesses of Europe and that it's actually a unintentional callback to sort of European symbolism and how a lot of the janky kind of cringy tribal tats that people will get, they actually tend to be sort of warped versions of actual traditional tattoos that people would get or markings or markings or stuff like that. And it's, it's something that I think people, miss is I am not trying to create a religion. I am, I'm actually not even really trying to tell other people what to do. I'm merely trying to show them information that that's my whole deal. Like, why am I called the lore keeper? I'm not called the teacher. I'm not called the, the lore reader. I'm not called any of those things. That's not the nickname that people have given me. It's because all I really am here for is to present the stuff and you can do with it what you will. But I'm going to give my research and what I look into in the stories as honestly as possible. And this can lead to some people thinking I'm extremely dogmatic. Because I've been accused of being dogmatic specifically because I would assert, what was it, that Odin and uh, another figure, I won't get who because I know somebody will reach and be like, well, they are the same because this one random guy on the internet said it was the same. But... I basically pointed out to him all of the radical differences between Odin and this other deity. And then he got into this, but I firmly believe, and I'm like, you literally just heard about this God and you're already calling him Odin. And he called me dogmatic. And I'm like, I'm not dogmatic. I'm simply pointing out that these two can't be the same because there's no evidence whatsoever. You're literally, it's literally just because they both have sticks and a beard. That's all you're going off of sticks and a beard. Well, and there's, there was a key thing that he said, well, I feel, I feel, I don't give a shit what you feel. I really don't deep down inside. When, when I check my feelings, if I feel anything about what you feel, the answer is no, no, I don't. Would I prefer for you to be happy or depressed? Well, of course, I'd prefer for you to be happy. But if you're depressed, typically, I don't care because I don't know you. Same as you don't necessarily care if I get depressed or if I'm laughing like a freaking maniac, unless perhaps we're interacting in the way that we're interacting right now. Uh, if I was extremely depressed and you heard it in my voice, then you might grow a little bit concerned. But aside from that, 
you don't care. And that's fine. <laughs> it is fine. It does not make you a lesser person. It doesn't mean that if I met you on the street that I wouldn't care about you. No, that's not at all what I'm saying. And this is one of the issues. It's people and our people is where I find the problem because I don't give a shit about the rest of them. But when it comes to the Hyperboreans, we have been taught everything is this or that. And that is a lie. It is this and or that. It's not black or white. And it's not black or white or gray. Life is, it's black or white or shades of green. And why why do I say shades of green? Because you don't expect to get shades of green from black or white. You expect gray, not shades of green. So life is actually the things that you don't really expect. So when I say I don't care, is that the truth? Yes. But is it also not the entirety of the truth exactly it's not the entirety of the truth i do care about my people i love my people as a whole but as far as somebody that i don't interact with on a personal level not really well there's actually a saying for this and i'll go to the extreme example because those tend to deliver the best punch a single death is a tragedy a million is a statistic because the human brain cannot fully quantify and understand that level of death. It's why that uh, like modern day when they want to make you panic, they throw out enormous numbers because at a certain point, the difference between, I don't know, 40,000 and a million is negligible because neither of these numbers are things we can fully comprehend. We probably haven't even met 40,000 people in our entire lives. So the likelihood that we can fully quantify that is impossible so while me and cg are for our people we're for our people being stronger better returning to who we are there's also just the reality that this is an abstract concept and it's an abstract concept for everyone that's why with larger concepts like this you have mythology you have mythology for the larger concepts because it allows you to contemplate them it's why a lot of people want an origin myth for the Hyperboreans. Uh, some people will go with Atlantis. Some people will go with the Aryans. Some people will go with this or that. Some people will go with aliens. Um, and it's because it allows them to quantify uh, something that is beyond the understanding of a single human being. Right. And on the note of scaring us. And I, honestly, I don't give a shit what you think of, of COVID-19. And uh, if you can't figure out what I think of it, well, then you're just not paying attention. But as far as like putting in fear, it is a shame when somebody's Uncle Tom or Aunt Florence, just to pull two names out of my ass, it's a shame when they die. And I might feel some sympathy for the family of these two people. But this is how they drive in fear. And I just pulled up a, a graphic that I have in front of me. And they'll say things like, between January 1st and March 30th of 2020, 35,016 people died of coronavirus. Ah, panic. Run for the hills. Oh, my goodness. And this is worldwide. Now, malaria, 240,056. They don't mention that because this is a normal thing. And now you're more scared of malaria than you are of the thing that they want you to be scared of. Or suicide is on here. 
262,441, way bigger than 35,000, but they want you to be scared of the COVID-19. So they just throw out raw numbers. They throw out the statistic and nobody questions it. And there, there's all kinds of things on this graphic and you can look it up for yourself. And there's been people that's looking for the truth and they've noticed certain things have disappeared. Like they just aren't counted on the death tolls anymore. And I'm not talking about like, well, of course, car accident deaths or car accident related deaths have gone down because people aren't driving around as much. Well, yeah, no shit. But um, why does that correlate to, I don't know, less people dying of cancer? Why now are less people dying of heart attacks? So it's all about fear and fear and anger are great motivators. They are a great way. How do you herd sheep? You scare the shit out of them. You scare the shit out of them or you can make them angry at something and they will go in the direction that you want. These are great motivators. That's why I speak about apathy all the time. And uh, here's the thing is we, we are not a religion. Our, okay, back up. One of the, my favorite statements uh, re, regarding what paganism is, heathenism is, the wild way, what this means. Uh, Terry Pratchett, I believe, is the one that you read it to me. is Terry Pratchett, I believe. The description of the dwarf. Um, you, ask the, you ask the dwarf what his religion is, and he'll say they, that he doesn't have one, but his, his people are his religion. And, and it's, it's, it's a wonderful description of ethnic faiths, regardless of what ethnos it is. Their, their religion is their people. But that in itself is not a religion because a religion is structured and it's got very specific rules. You must do this and you must not do that. And the other thing about a religion is anybody can join it. Anybody. Anybody can join a religion. You can buy your way in. You can fake your way in. You can owe your way in. But anybody can join a religion. Not anybody can join an ethnic group. It just doesn't work that way. And that's, I think that's a lot of why we get pushed back too is one, we're genuine. The other one is we push actual ethnic faith, actual uh, embracing your ethnicity, which doesn't mean just, oh, I love all of my people, even that asshole over there. Well, you can love somebody without liking them. I mean, I'm sure everybody has that family member. You're like, yeah, I love them, but if I could, I'd just beat them with a bat. Well, and it's a common tactic, uh, universalist monotheism. And what it is, is it's usually a break off of an ethnic faith. So you have like Buddhism breaks off from Hinduism or whatever it was when it was breaking off. You have Christianity and Islam from Judaism. You even have a uh, univer- you have a universalist faith coming up from European religions, like for in- well, religions, quote unquote, ethnic faiths. You have Wicca, which is technically centered around Celtic, but really it's all all ethnic faiths sort of in one. But it's like a goddess veneration thing because of the f- weird feminist crud that's going on. And then you have you know p- people who are pushing like Wodenism. And there's actual I've seen pictures where people will actually set up like here, come join our religious booth. And they they have pamphlets and they have that fake Christian smile going on, but they venerate Odin. So, yeah, Um, 
And this is even happening, weirdly enough, with Shinto, which is the Japanese ethnic faith. And um, they're... This is happening in Hawaii, and I know why it's happening in Hawaii. First of all, it's in a non-Asian country. It's technically in a Pacific Islander country, but it's uh, it's part of America. They have a lot of Japanese. Yeah, they have a lot of Japanese, specifically Japanese that are uh, mixed. I think the term is Eurasian or Hapa or whatever people want to call it. But they're half Asian, half white, or they're half Asian, half something else. And... The Japanese, the ethnic ones, would never accept them as Japanese. But if you make it universalist and you make... Because there's already evidence in, like, European American tradition where George Washington has effectively entered this demigod apotheosis state. So the so the Shinto temple in Hawaii took, uh, took that up, and now George Washington is a kami. And not a kami, C-O-M-M-I-E... A kami as in K-A-M-I, which is a complex term that meant many different things. And there's blending. And here's the thing that really annoys me when people try to do these like hard lines, like spirit ends here, God ends here. That has never been a thing. One region's hero is another's God. One region's spirit is another's deity. One region's ancestor is another's divine progenitor i mean it's it's a whole thing and this is even really obvious in uh nor uh, just just go with the norse paganism because it's the most well known uh Desir, nornir goddess deity spirit ancestor etc etc all of these are such a gray area you can't tell where one ends and the other begins like even dwarf even though now thanks to lord of the rings and fiction and stuff dwarves are very distinct from elves that didn't used to be the case that's why a lot of people will say like dwarves and dark elves might be the same thing it's because they might be i doubt it but they might be there's because it's you know, very these are all very loosely defined terms it's why elf is both a type of spirit and a term for an ancestor it, it it's not as simple as people want it to be and i understand that makes it more complicated but it also makes it a lot easier if you think about it is something a god or a spirit? Who cares? Well, and I was just going to bring in because some new listeners, if they've made it this far, um, which on, a, on the podcast, on the radio show, they tend to, uh, according to the, uh, uh, the graph things I look at. Anyways, it might seem like we're all over the place. And well, you guys, you're just not focused, but this is incorrect. We are always focused on our people and the, the thing that we're always talking about is, our, is the nature of our people. So what is it that motivates me? Why do I react the way that I react to things? Um, what is it that makes me angry? What is my, my reaction most likely going to be if I'm angry? What is the things that make me laugh? Why do I laugh? What is my reaction most likely to be if I laugh? Is there more than one kind of laughter? So what we do, and the same applies to you, understanding why. Why? Who who are we as a shared core? That's what we talk about all the time. And then we'll use the folklore to basically fill in and explain that. And, and uh, along with that, we go with describing ways to study. How do you view this thing so that you can actually do the study on your own and come to your own conclusions? 
without necessarily having all these whispers, which aren't whispering, screaming in your ear. Believe it this way. You must look at it this way. All the experts agree. And we'll say things like the only thing experts really should be agreeing on is that experts don't agree. They don't agree on shit ever, ever. If you can get two of them to actually agree, one of them isn't thinking. But what we do is we talk about our nature as a people because that is what it is. We'll use pop culture to point it out. We'll use politics sometimes to point it out, uh, studies to point it out, um, our folklore, our history, our customs all across Europe because we are a large tribe, the Hyperborean tribe with many tribes within, each with their own approach, I guess, their own expressions of these base components that makes a Hyperborean Hyperborean. Well, and it's one of the reasons that I'll often try to point out the continuous line from one thing to another, like how you got butlers, if you go back far enough, from berserkers, or how if you go back far enough, your teddy bear is a totem to a bear goddess, or if you go back far enough... Uh, medical doctors were pre were quote unquote for lack of a better term priests of gods of medicine. Ever nothing of the modern day evolved in a vacuum. Some of it is on loan from other cultures, like your people that are obsessed with yoga got that from the Indians, or people that really like Ethiopian food, and even that doesn't evolve in a vacuum. Because I've been accused of saying that our people evolved in a vacuum. Because I say that our stuff is our stuff and we don't need to integrate other people's stuff into our stuff. And I've even told people, I look into other people's stuff. I even encourage you to look into other people's stuff. Just don't integrate it into your spirituality. Because I get a lot of people saying stuff like, well, we don't have anything, that's why we need to. Or it's not developed enough, so we have to bring in the outside influences to make it a more full rounded thing. There's more stuff on our spirituality and philosophy and way of doing things than you can read in a lifetime. Trust me. You're trying. Yeah. I am trying to read as much as humanly possible. And you brought up that academics don't agree. You want to see this be hilarious. Read two books on the same subject from two different authors at the same time. It becomes hilarious. They start disagreeing with each other left and right. Even if they're using the same arguments. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's like one will try to claim the etymological link of this word is from this country way over here. And the other person's like, we have no idea what the etymological link is. This doesn't really think. Or one will say the giants were evil and they should have been just banned. And the other person's like, the giants were matriarchal, ancient gods that were displaced by later generations. And it's like they can't agree because everybody has their own biases. Well, and one of my favorite ones is the entomological evidence shows that this word is linked to this word from this place. Other artist says, or other author says, this word, the same word, is shown to have entomological connection to this word from this completely other separate place, separate, separate time. And mean completely different things. They're using the same word, claiming the same thing in two completely different ways. So, yeah, they don't agree. And and there's, there's this whole big spit. We could probably go on about four or five shows just on why entomolo- entomology is not a good 
a, a good way to pursue these things. One of my suggestions, actually, when you're doing your own research, if you do, and it's fine if you don't. Um, actually, I'd rather have dirty heathens that just go out and do things like plant a garden and don't know any of the stories and don't pretend to know any of the stories besides maybe some folklore. I'd rather deal with those than these armchair academics that only half-ass, you know, do do research. But in general, really, if you're reading a book, um, and, and because well, you want to learn about the past, and they start bringing in entomology, just throw that part out. Go ahead and keep reading, but just throw that part out because it it means nothing. Well, a very obvious example of this, and actually, there is some legitimacy to entomology, but it's specifically up. Well, it's basically, you could argue, like, wicked originally coming probably, maybe, from a word that meant sort of like sowing fate or whatever, like looming or whatever, weaving. That's interesting, and it's probably true, but etymology is very unpredictable. Language is basically reinvented every few generations. Like, a big example of where people can get really weird with stuff is try to make a god and another god from two separate groups, that are really far separated the same. And the hilarious thing is you find different views of things. Like one person will argue uh, Hera is the same as X deity over here, and they're from this long line. And another will point out Hera was a matriarchal cult that's so old that she probably predates this hypothetical situation where a bunch of cults moved in all of a sudden hypothetical because they've never proven it it's just a collectively agreed upon supposition basically well and to yank this back away from entomology um which is it's yeah it's one of our raging points um but still this is an example of how our people are people of extremes if you go down the, the academic path which there's nothing wrong with the academic path, but they go so severely academic. I forget who it is that said it, um, but academics have a tendency to begin wandering around in, in esotericism because they have to to make it make sense. Well, here's my question. Why does everything have to make sense? What is the obligation of all these stories to even have something to make sense of? Well, my thing is, it's not that they don't need to make sense, but these academics, they try to make sense of it academically while ignoring nine-tenths of the evidence, which is physical. And that's where it gets all... And this is, this is not just us. This is old academics, old scholars, old philosophers that have pointed this out since the long ago. So since as far back as I can dig into these people talking about this stuff... They have been talking about it where people, they'll get so intellectual about something that they begin to get weird and lose grip on reality because they're ignoring the real world part of it. And it has, basically they end up creating things that has nothing to do with nothing. So it's one of our extreme natures. Precisely. And for instance, one example of how our people are is, we are brutal by nature. I know some people don't want to do, think that way because they're like, oh, we would just be at peace if it wasn't for X, Y, Z. Ignoring something very intrinsic about our people. We are extremely warlike. That's why we're peaceful. Because once you let it, let the can of whoop ass get open, it doesn't stop. 
Yeah, you can't. You just can't put that toothpaste back in the tube. It just doesn't happen. And so that's why we are overly kind in many cases and slip into nice, which is where we should never go. Um, I recommend everybody be kind, but be brutally kind. This does not allow you to be nice. You polite, yes. Um, gentle, sure, yes. Because I like to think I'm extremely gentle, but most people will describe my gentleness as um, uh, like I'm petting them with with rocks and jagged bits attached to my hand. So, yeah, uh, I am brutal, extremely brutal, but I am also very, very kind, and I am never nice. Now, what does that mean? Sometimes the best help that you can give somebody is no help at all. It's it's nice to give that person a hand up. And sometimes that is actual kindness. But if it doesn't actually help them become stronger, then all you're doing is causing them harm. So sometimes, sometimes the best thing that the best help that you can give somebody is no help at all. And it's it's it might even be cruel to that individual, but it's kind to everybody that's around that individual because they will become stronger, smarter, wiser because the one didn't get the help that you might have actually even wanted to give. But then when you look, you're like, if I pick this person up, they're just going to fall back down. I'm not actually helping them. Yeah. It's, and it's another thing is I've learned the hard way that most people, when they say something like, I want, wish that we had more stories, they don't. And this is fine, but it, it's something that I've noticed is that a lot of people, what they actually mean is they basically are using it as an excuse. It's, oh, we don't have anything. That means I shouldn't bother. And then if you lay just the mountains and mountains of information we have, even if you do it in increments, it overloads them. Because they go from thinking we have nothing to realizing the sheer scope. And it's a little like thinking that, you know, someone's asking you to go on a hike and you're like, oh, we're just going to kind of walk through the park. It's all going to be nice. And then you're climbing up the Appalachian Trail. (laughs) It's a very big difference. And I think it actually starts to intimidate some people. Because, like, for instance, it is a lot easier to try and learn, say, Norse paganism if there's only like 12 gods. But it's a lot harder when you point out there's hundreds, if not thousands. Well, one thing is, is people have this, this false idea in their head. And again, this links into the, the extremes of our people that you have to know everything about something. This is false. You don't. You, a computer programmer does not have to know every program on the face of the planet. They don't even have to know every program that's in the computer that they're on to be a computer programmer. But when it comes to this stuff, a lot of people think, oh, I have to know everything or I know nothing. And that's not the case. Well, one big example of this is there's that saying, it takes 10,000 hours to master something. What people forget to mention is that you don't suck until you hit that 10,000 hour mark. At a certain point, you're good. You're just not a master. And then you can keep getting better at it. That's why you can have what I think people call the T-shaped life, whereas whereas you're a master of one thing and you're a jack of all trades. You know enough to keep yourself alive, but you're an expert farmer. You're an expert warrior. You're an expert fisherman. 
And there's all these little things and you can't master a craft unless you choose to focus. Well, and people are so, um, against this notion, 10,000, there's entire books. People have built their entire career off from trying to disprove this 10,000 hour rule. And they're like, Oh, that's false. It only takes 20 hours to master something. Go learn all of martial arts in 20 hours. Uh, go learn how to become a master guitar player. I give you 20 hours. Go. Let me know how it works out. Can you learn how to play guitar in 20 hours? Sure. Yeah, you could. But you're going to suck. You're not going to master the thing in 20 hours. I can't think of anything that you're going to master in 20 hours. Be a master chef in 20 hours. Well, that's that's a crazy notion. Especially considering if you're actually cooking, the, the quickest thing I know how to cook is, is about 10 minutes, uh, which is basically just a grilled sandwich. No, you're not going to master anything in 20 hours. And this is such a hated opinion that there are people that have made entire careers off from this. There's many, many books out there saying, Oh no, it does not take 10,000 hours to master something. You can do it in 20 hours. They're lying to you. It takes 10,000 hours. I think is actually kind of undercutting it because really it takes a lifetime. I, I don't care how long you live. One, once you master it, you continue to master it. So what level of master mastery are you talking about? Well, and it's, it's the way that our people are. We're a people of extremes. And right now, because this is actually kind of how the world has uh, become is it is, there's a, there's a term called the omnivores dilemma where people don't know what to eat because there's too many options. And this is kind of the way the world is right now. There's so many options of what you can do. You don't know what to choose and you end up choosing nothing and you grow up and you have no skills. And then there's people that go the opposite route and they spend, you know, all their time growing up, either learn, learning an instrument, uh, going to kickball practice or whatever, doing all these things. And they basically have no free time. So they grow up and they have a lot of skills, but they have no personality. <laughs> Or they sometimes have a personality, but it's basically, it's that old saying, all work and no play makes Jack a doll boy. All play and no work makes Jack a mere toy. And it's really honest. And it's like, there are plenty of people out there who'd like to just be a cheesemaker, who'd like to just be a baker, who'd like to be just a woodworker, who'd like to just do things that make them feel good. But so many people end up in jobs where they absolutely despise it. I mean, being a merchant used to be just something people did. It wasn't like I need like 23 employees so that I can make sure that I'm selling my unripe apples and my polyester children's shirts. No, it used to be, wasn't perfect, but it's one of those things. And it's, we've increasingly gotten to the point where there really isn't anything that people take pride in as much. And it's one of the few good things that came out of the internet is some people, well, there's a lot of good things, but there's also a lot of bad, but basically people are able to put themselves out there. And sometimes that ends horribly. Sometimes that ends well, like there are artists that are make beautiful art that are only able to get out there because they're on the internet, like Aethelwolf, our friend for one, but on the flip side, um, 
you, you, there are plenty of people who are famous right now who are absolutely shit artists. And it's really, really strange. And it's one of the reasons that, in my personal opinion, is the, the art world right now is basically a money laundering scheme. But it's just one of those things. Right. And it seems like a lot of people, too, they, they get upset because they, they approach us. Um, and basically all that they want is for us to to say and we see it in our sub counts all the time or listens they'll spike up and then drop down drop down drop down because they hear us say something that they don't want that they don't want to hear and so they stomp away but what it is is they just want us basically is what it seems like like us to just pat them on the head and say you're a good boy you're a good girl just keep doing exactly what you're doing the way that you're doing it bravo continue on and we don't do that we say things that people don't want to hear, but if you can calm down and actually think about the things that said, they're true. It doesn't mean that you're a bad person. It just means you you didn't think about it that way until we brought it up. Well, like here's my question. Like one thing that always gets people kind of on a stickler is that we argue that I don't know, Woden and Odin are not the same deity. That the etymology is kind of fuzzy and there's no way to prove that. And people will get kind of mad about that. But here's my question why you're even bothering to get mad. Because first of all, if that's not the case, you were just treating Woden as another name for Odin anyway. Because most people never bother to dig into the little bits of lore on Woden. So all I've really done is said, you're worshipping an Icelandic god. And cults expand. So this doesn't invalidate your desire to supposedly venerate a Norse deity over a, I don't know, English deity you can actually choose to then just call him Odin. All I've really done is taken away the name that you preferred to use. And then even that, and basically reject the idea that they're separate and then just keep using the name. That's what most people end up doing. And I, it's just a thing. And the reason is, is they're lazy. it's laziness. But the main thing I'm getting at here is I'm going to say what my research and what my what I personally have found. I don't use my own UPG as the basis for anything that I put out there because that's my business. Like there are there's UPG I've had and I'm not going to bring it up because it has nothing to do with this. And neither do I. Yeah, CG's had UPG. Almost every pagan has had some kind of UPG. But here's the thing, you can't use UPG to win arguments. You know, it's the equivalent of Christians arguing and then someone said, God told me this. It's supposed to be your ace in the hole, but now everyone's just looking at you like you're a nutter. And it's one of those weird things. And your UPG is valid to you. If you want it to be valid to anybody else, do something so fucking heroic that the only conclusion that they can't deny it. How do you think a lot of these historic figures that talk to a deity, sorry, that talk to a deity actually that became part of their official legend. They were that fucking epic, so everyone was like, eh, there's some credence there. They did some pretty epic stuff. Maybe they had a god backing them. And it's something that I think is important to bring up. I'm not invalidating your UPG or how you're choosing to do paganism. But there's this extreme where you either have to agree with someone entirely or you have to... Or you are their enemy. And this is an extremely nonsensical way of doing things. Right. And really, 
all we're trying to do is get people to think, to actually think, not just regurgitate what I said or what the lore keeper said or what Billy Bob Johansson said. Actually think for themselves. Use reason and some logic and then apply that reason and logic to real life. And how do all these things interact? If they don't interact, something's wrong. Keep playing with it until you can figure it out. Pretty much that's all that we're saying. Um, and then as far as Odin and Woden not being the same, if you do that personally, I don't give a crap. But don't tell other people to do that. It's like these people that make these semantic arguments. And I brought this up earlier today. It is one of the weakest arguments in the world. Semantically, everybody knows what a car is, right? When I when I say the word car, you automatically think of uh, a vehicle, probably personally owned, generally has one or more doors on it. Usually they come under the names of GMC, Ford, um, a Honda, Tesla. These vehicles that we take back and forth from home to the store to the um, the factory, these are not cars. So if I want to get all semantic and pedantic, no, those aren't cars. Those are automobiles. What a car is, is a car on a train. It's drug by the train. It's pulled by the train. It can be a trailer is a car, a trailer that you load stuff on and you pull behind your truck. That is a car. The thing that you drive is an automobile. That's semantics. But for me to then argue with everybody that the thing that they, that they bought, that they pay insurance on, that they drive to the store and they drive to their family's house and they, they drive to work in, that that's not a car, I'm wrong. At that point, I'm wrong because everybody calls it a car. I don't give a crap what an individual... They could be 100% right, technically, on the, by the definition but as soon as you have to insert the word technically, guess what? You're wrong. The way language is used by the majority matters. It really does. Because for me to tell you that you don't have a car and that you must call it an automobile is stupid. It is, it is just stupid. What does that have to do with Odin and Woden? Well, if you're insisting that I call my car an automobile... You're a moron. You, you, you're just going to get wrecked by society. So, and I understand, we're basically telling people, call their cars automobiles. But what we're doing is pointing out, oh, hey, you don't have to call it a car. And hey, look, this thing is actually completely different. Isn't that cool? So we're trying to give the people more, not take anything away. That, that's really all that we're trying to do. Think think for yourself. You can reject things that we say. That's fine too, because we can't stop you. We meet face to face. It might be a different story. We might have a good conversation. We might have a, a, a handshake or we might be punching each other in the face. All these things are just fine, but we're not trying to take anything away from people. What we're trying to do is give them more. Well, it's like, for instance, people whole there, there's a way that uh, European paganism has been broken down where you basically have Southern Europe gets the Roman and Northern Europe gets the Norse. This ignores not only middle. the middle as well as just the massive array of different groups of myths that you have. And then there's the tribal differences. 
Because while there's many gods that overlap many tribal groups, there's also ones that are very, very niche and belong to just a handful or even one, like the Saxon, like Saxonot for the Saxons. And it's just a thing. And it's not that complicated. And it makes it seem like it's a lot less specific, but it really doesn't. It's just there was no overarching religion. In fact, Catholicism's not an overarching religion, technically. It, not even close. I mean, if you look at how, say, Mexico does Catholicism versus how Austria does Catholicism, you can tell where both has taken significant inspiration from their ethnic faiths and how different the two are, how different the local folklore is. Just two Catholic churches down the street from each other. Yeah, they won't agree. Two Catholic churches down the street. And that is an actual organized religion, like officially, with like a, a singular head. So it's just ridiculous that something that simple, like even... And again, this isn't invalidating the common research sites. It's merely stating this was just the reality. It's one of the reasons why the most common thing I try to say and get people to understand is pantheons were not a thing. There was not a set way of doing these things. The gods had the word is kind of crappy in the modern day, but in the past, it just meant venerators of this deity or this group of deities, which was cult. So there was a cult of. Odin, there was a cult of Freya, there was a cult of the Dogda, there was a cult of the Morrigan, there was a cult of Dionysus. And those spread and they overlapped, and then you have literary and oral and folklore traditions that incorporate different ones, and you end up with what people nowadays call a pantheon. But in actual tribal groups, you have a lot more overlap. Radagast is a Slavic god who also appears in German tradition. Ross Murta is a Gaulish god that also appears in German and Dutch and Switzerland and all these things. And it's because it wasn't this firm line. Like, I've heard people say there weren't crossover myths. Well, if you're defining them as distinct groups, yes, <laughs> yes, there is. <laughs> um, uh, but I don't personally view things that way. So, no, there's not crossover myths because it's all one wide gradient across Europe. And even into America, because we have our own sort of demigod folk heroes over here. Right, and we're we're getting in towards the end here. But I'd say being on a, a lot of what we try to get people to understand is our nature as a people. That we are creatures of extremes and that a lot of our stories um, as a people, the the goal of paganism basically is to teach us how to bring ourselves into balance that we aren't too much of one thing to where we to the point where we become detrimental or too much of the other to the same point where we become detrimental and that doesn't mean that we don't have hard lines because we have also been accused of having too many hard lines uh, me in particular uh, you look all the way around you you got hard lines everywhere yes i do i, I do i stand firmly on the side of our people and I don't give a shit what the people out at the, the far end of that end and the people at the far end of that end over there think because all that they want to do is turn around and wipe everybody else out. So screw them. I'm going to stand here in the middle with my hard convictions that what is important is our people and now our people understand who we are at the core. 
what motivates our people. That doesn't mean ignoring what motivates, you know, Barry Blue Eyes. Because what motivates him is the same thing that motivates everybody else, how he expresses it. Now, that's a completely different question. So I really push our people to understand our people as a whole. Well, if you look at, don't average out all the people on the planet because we're not the same. That's why everybody is crazy, especially white people by, by modern psychology is because they've taken all the people on the planet and they've averaged them out. We are the most likely um, to go in one extreme direction or another. Extremely nice, extremely violent, extremely kind, extremely, 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 extremely. We pull ourselves in, understand why we have a tendency. Why are we violent? Because there, that's a big thing that's going around. White people are so violent. It's true. We are. We are extremely violent. We are very, very good at it. Why? And then what motivates us to be violent? That's an important thing to think about. I want us to think and and not just about ourselves, but for ourselves. Not trying to teach anybody what to think, but basically how to think. How do you, ra- not rationalize, because that's a horrible polluted word, but how do you reason? How to reason, reason for yourself. Look around, find somebody that you you do not agree with at all and try and think, Hmm, what is motivating that person to act that way? And actually listen to them. That's the hard part. You have to actually listen to them. And listening to somebody and agreeing with them, two completely different things. But listen to them. And they will tell you why they do the things that they do. In general, it's because they want to be the good person. They want to be the hero. They want to be the legend. That's what they want. And they think doing these things that you completely disagree with is going to make that happen. And then on this, on the other side of the spectrum, somebody that somebody else that you agree with, guess what? They're going to say the same damn thing. So what is it that our makes our people our people? We want to be good. We want to be the heroes. We want to be looked up to. That's what we want. And that's just one aspect of who we are as a people. And that's how you go about doing that. But yeah, as I said, we're pretty close to the end. So I'm going to wrap it up with um, we're just encouraging you. Keep moving. Keep being brave. Keep your head down and your powder dry. And I'll finish up by saying, keep an eye out for people that either tell you nothing but sweet talk with no potential that you might have to sacrifice something or that there's harshness or things of that nature because they're just trying to prey on your childlike hopefulness and things of that nature. And avoid people that all they do is make you feel worse and more concerned about the world to the point where you are stuck in this cycle of doom and gloom. Both of these are extremes that we are constantly getting trapped in and then we don't want to leave them. We don't want to believe in anything good or possible to be hopeful about because we're so comfortable in our doom and gloom. Or we're so in this cotton candy bubblegum fantasy of everything will be fine, don't worry about it, that we miss the freaking fire that's about to engulf us. There is always the possibility of a better future, but it doesn't happen just because you wish it. There is work, there is consequences, and there are sacrifices that are made. But on the same token, we're not all guaranteed and doomed to horridness. And it's that balance that ethnic faith allows us. And with that, I'm going to sign off and wish everybody a good day.
Oh, thank you.